I love that scripture says that God came, Jesus came to reconcile us first to the Father, but then also to one another, right? And we are, we are a communal people made by a communal God. So we actually cannot function apart from one another. It's very often talked about, don't, for, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, right? Don't, don't like minimize being tethered to a community, tethered in marriage, tethered in friendship. Hey guys, my name is Kenny Morgan. I am the host of the Relationship Business Podcast. We're so grateful to have you back today for another episode and conversation with uh, Rebecca Lyons. Um, I don't know about you guys, but it's been a little bit of a, a challenging week. I was uh, just talking um, uh, to some friends. My wife's car actually uh, died this week, um, which was a, a crazy uh, Monday, crazy way to start the week off. But um, I got there maybe five minutes after her car broke down and was just really blown away by how many people stopped to help and push the car out of the road. Um, and so it was just a, a sweet reminder in, a, in what it could have been a really hard situation, just that there are good people out there and um, it's just really, really sweet. So um, if you're going through uh, any hard times or hard moments, um, and I'm excited about talking about that today, um, but just know that... Uh, that there's hope, there's better days ahead, and there's also still really good people out there that are willing to help you out. Um, so our new friend, Rebecca Lyons, is a national speaker and best-selling author of Rhythms of Renewal, um, Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose. Um, other books are You Are Free um, and Free Fall to Fly. And her work has been featured on Today's Show, Good Morning America, CNN, Huffington Post, The Tennessean, Publishers Weekly, and more. Um, she is an open book when it comes to her own battles of overcoming anxiety and depression, which um, may be um, as relevant now as ever um, in the course of time. Um, she invites others to discover and boldly pursue their God-given purpose from a place of freedom. Alongside her husband, Gabe, she serves as a co-founder of Q Ideas, a nonprofit organization that helps Christian leaders winsomely engage in culture. Um, Gabe and Rebecca are raising their four children in Franklin, Tennessee, which is just a couple hours from where I'm at in Chattanooga. Um, but I just wanted to say, uh, one, just how grateful I am to get to know you and just really appreciate you being on the podcast with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love this. Absolutely. Well, a, a big part of relationship is just getting to know one another. And for um, our audience today and even myself, I'd love just to hear a little bit of your story um, so maybe where you came from, um, what life what life looked like maybe a little earlier, and how it ultimately led you to the place that you're at today. Okay, well, where I came from is Florida, Jacksonville, Florida. Actually, I lived in Florida most all my life until I was 18, and then decided I wanted to experience this novel thing called seasons. And so <laughs> I went to College of Virginia, and that's where I met Gabe. And you know. As, as you know, ring before spring um, kind of happened, but not really. It was almost like how um, it was like later in college, actually, um, that we we were friends the whole time, but got more serious towards the end of that, got married and then had our first child at 26 and found out six hours after he was born that he had uh, what they thought would would become a, a Down syndrome diagnosis. It took about a week to confirm that through genetic testing. 
And I just remember in that moment, um, just whatever I thought was important kind of took the back burner and the things that I may have ignored in the past became front and center. And God used that as a catalyst uh, in our lives to grow our faith into what is now our nonprofit and just like, what do we want our life to be about and whatever days God has for us. And really uh, at the time, Gabe was going through books on culture and like, what is, how does our faith intersect on the front lines of culture? How does our faith make sense of every tension that culture faces on a daily basis? And so we left kind of our Christianville community in Atlanta and moved to Manhattan years later after Cade was born, just because this kind of faith journey just kept evolving. Uh, we wound up having three kids. And then by the time we got to New York City in 2010, uh, we were just kind of running hard and fast. And honestly, the Lord arrested my life even in that season through uh, just panic disorder. Honestly, it's mm-hmm. I felt like it was like the interruption of God because I was a very firstborn type A, high capacity, you know, just would bulldoze through whatever barriers and my body just could no longer, you know, contain maybe honestly the trauma of the prior decade. Having Cade early, you know, he had RSV, he was in the ER with croup attacks all the time. And then once he could walk, he would run off and he would always get lost, but not to him, only to us. He was exploring. The rest of us were having, you know, virtual panic attacks, which later in life Mm. became real panic attacks. But I think God used even that season to uh, help me find my voice. Uh, Who was Rebecca before kids? And then I had always written and journaled and processed pain, but God used that journey of panic disorder in 2010 and 11 to kind of pull me out of that with a rescue moment and peace, but also give me words for what I, I think now a lot of people are experiencing or have in the last decade. We didn't talk about mental health in the church. In 2010, people, yeah. in fact, the day my first book came out was the same um, week that that Matthew Warren took his life. And so I was writing for CNN immediately about like, how, how does mental health intersect with the church? And is this something we kind of shame and hide or, or is it because we don't have enough faith? Or is this just something that mm. Um, once needs to become a public conversation because you can't heal what is hidden. So really that's been my last decade of work and in vocational ministry is just to, to make room for science and faith to intersect around these conversations Mm -hmm. and, and remove the stigma from it because uh, like I wrote in rhythms, the last book that came out when I wrote it, it was like, a few months before COVID, but I said, our society is on the verge of a collective panic attack. And I didn't know how prophetic that statement was. Mm. Um, And so honestly, it's just been my joy. Uh, When God comforts us, he gives us the resource to comfort others. And when we bear suffering and we have to find endurance and faith and hope in that, then we can become that for other people. So that's just kind of the summary of, of, you know, what this has looked like. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And Cade Dusty, he just turned twenty one. He did. He did. He's a, he's. We we were like he is. He could actually have. <laughs> he could have an alcoholic beverage. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but we're not doing it. <laughs> it's like he really likes Chick Fil A sauce, and I was like, I don't know. Hey. He has an addictive personality. I'm not sure. That's 
<laughs> but yes. He may be my best friend if he loves Chick-fil-A that much. Oh my so. goodness. So instead we've got a couple bottles of yellow sauce for, um, he calls it yellow <laughs> sauce, the Chick-fil-A sauce. So he's, he's very happy. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Well, uh, before I jump to the next question, I mean, I think you're touching on something that's, like I said, just um, ever present in today's world. I mean, I think you're uh, so so right. You know, 10 years ago, um, mental health wasn't really discussed like it is now. It's almost like taboo. Even myself, I was really naive at that season of life. I didn't think that like panic attacks were real. I also grew up in a church and um, I thought, you know, de panic attacks, uh, depression, all those things were just, you know, almost just like fictitious things that, um, yeah, I don't know what I thought until it hit me really hard myself, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, all the things. Um, and I, I don't know, I would just love to hear your th like thoughts. I know, um, your books alone offer some really great resources, but for someone today that's listening, that may feel like very overwhelmed. Um, and I honestly, even myself, my wife and I, um, have two close friends, um, that have lost somebody to suicide in the last week alone. Wow. Um, and I feel like the suicide rate just continues to go yeah. up. So, um, for a very timely subject matter, how, how do you feel like people can, um, cope with, with those very real feelings, very um, real things and try to find, or how, how can they find peace again in their life? What would you say? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't, the reason why I think it has to intersect with faith, because I honestly don't know. I mean, there's plenty of things out there in the wellness community that, that, that pursue peace. But my mm -hmm. personal conviction is that we can't know peace apart from the Prince of Peace because he actually mm -hmm. gives us and equips us to carry peace. And it's the peace is not from us. It's not of ourselves. It's, it's, it is something that actually transcends our ability to, to cultivate peace because honestly, the, the human heart just kind of wants to, um, satisfy and indulge. And, and it's not that it's, it's a bad thing to have coping mechanisms, but we, it's, it's a survival of the fittest thing. And we're just always kind of just trying to muscle our way through. And, and, but the way of Jesus is very much going like, Hey, the peace I give, he says in John, the peace I give the world cannot give. So don't mm. let your hearts be troubled and afraid. He says in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then he also tells us like my peace every time after he ascended or after he resurrected, resurrected and he would go like into the rooms where his disciples were, he would immediately begin with peace be with you. And what he was saying is I'm your peace and I'm with you. And so mm -hmm. I found that to be really resonating for me when I kind of cried out for rescue in 2011. I felt like my body in mid panic attack for the first time after 18 months was flooded with peace. And I, I did nothing but just kind of ask for like, rescue me, deliver me. I can't do this without you. And in that moment, my body just broke on the bed and all was still. And I knew that that was not of me because normally all my panic disorder was rooted in claustrophobia. And what mm. that resonates in, we we had moved to Manhattan and so it was on planes, trains, elevators, subways, and crowds. And you've got 8 mil million people in 11 miles. So you're, there is no such thing as personal space. And I found that the emotions attached to claustrophobia was trapped and powerless. And mm -hmm. that was a metaphor, I think, for a lot of us who experience anxiety. We feel trapped in the circumstances. Uh, we trapped perhaps in a relationship, trapped in a job, trapped. But the, the key is that we also feel powerless to make, to have agency to make change. 
So then mm-hmm. despair, the next thing is despair because despair believes that that things will never change. And that's why suicides are now counted in or opioid um, deaths, whatever they are, it's, it's, it's counted in this count now called deaths of despair. And that's truly what is happening on a societal pandemic, right? That that we have been so out of control and COVID has definitely exacerbated this. We have been trapped in circumstances we had nothing to do with. We feel powerless to make changes when mandates or rules or dictations are kind of given to us. We've lost agency and voice. And so then we're kind of left with ourselves. And honestly, none of us are strong enough on our own. Like that's that's where all of a sudden we have to look to something beyond ourselves that we believe is authority over all things that does yeah. reign that does have a power that's beyond us and even beyond governments and even beyond whoever's in office and even beyond whatever the local you know because again if we are able to accept that we're human and finite and we have limitations then we're able to actually place our faith in something greater than who we are and so for me with mental health a lot of times it's spirituality like whatever your higher power is most people cannot walk a road of hope and healing if they don't access something that they resolve is greater than their pain. And so yeah. for me, it's Christ. It's, it's, it's God. It's, it's, you know, that's, that's my faith as a Christian. Um, and so I just kind of lean into the words of Jesus when he, he promises us that we will be carriers of the gospel of peace. And I sign every book of rhythms of renewal, you were made to carry peace. You were made, you were like in, like when you were knit in your mother's womb, you were supposed to be a carrier of the gospel of peace. Like when you enter rooms, you're supposed to bring peace, not because it's you, but because you carry Christ, that he makes his home in your heart. And so I'm writing a book right now um, on like kind of the next season of what I think the church is going to need. And it's, it's based on second Corinthians four. And it's because we're pressed and we're crushed but we're not destroyed. We, mm-hmm. we, we are just, dis- but we're not given to despair. Why? Because we carry light shining in our hearts and that is why we never give up. So we don't, we don't overcome because we're strong and we, we did all the things we overcome because we understand our frailty and we understand his authority. And so we begin to mm-hmm. submit to that and walk with that kind of agency for change. You get me fired up today. <laughs> well, it's awesome when it's not about us, you know. I all of a sudden right, yeah. I'm like, I can I don't put my hope in myself and I don't even put my yeah. hope in practicing the rhythms. I don't put my mm-hmm. I mean, the rhythms bring me back to the place of of surrender and the and the, mm-hmm. back to the place of submission, which is why they work, because yeah. it's about communion and union with God on the regular, not just like once a year, right? It's like that yeah. abiding and remaining. It's when we stay in that presence and we and we believe those things are true, then all of a sudden that freedom follows. So when we talk about uh, kind of looking beyond ourselves, um, which I think it's sometimes it's really hard for us to do that. I think that gets us into the conversation that really this podcast is kind of centered around is re- like relationship too. So it's not just about what's in, inside, but you know, how we connect with others, um, what we're called to do. Cause I think our purpose, I think a lot of times we think about it being our purpose for ourselves, but I, I like to see it as our purpose and helping others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess in the grand scheme of life, um, where do you think relationship falls and is relationship also, um, a pathway for, uh, navigating out of some of those really hard seasons of life. I'm just curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. 
Well, they're critical. Um, so in the four rhythms that I write about, rest, restore, connect, create, connect is the first output rhythm. So rest is the inner life. It's our, our am I okay or God and I okay? Because if that relation, if that foundational relationship's not secure, then we can't, we can't stand a chance at cultivating a healthy relationship um, uh, in a horizontal way. So we've got mm-hmm. to have this vertical thing that's cleared, you know, whatever um, hidden secrets or sins or obsessions or burdens or t- fears, whatever, if those things are never like said out loud and, and confessed and freed, then we're never going to have intimacy on a horizontal level, whether marriages, friendships, community. So uh, I love that scripture says that God came, Jesus came to reconcile us first to the father, but then also to one another. Right. And we are, yeah. we are a communal people made by a communal God. So we actually cannot function apart from one another. It's very often talked about, don't, for, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves right? Don't, don't like minimize being tethered to a community, tethered in marriage, tethered in friendship. And honestly, in an individualist society, it's the first to go. I mean, if we can get drones to deliver like a meal to our home Mm -hmm. and we don't actually have to get out of our house and go break bread with somebody else or invite somebody in, or because of quarantine, you know, the churches aren't meeting or we're not, small groups aren't meeting or Families aren't all getting together for Thanksgiving. Like, honestly, that has far more implications on the health and wellness of and longevity of life than, than the threat, right, of its pandemic. Yep. Because you've got so just these, the, tra- the, tra- the trail of that, the tailwind of that kind of trauma to be um, isolated and alone is honestly like it's like a living hell. When you live isolated and alone, when you are actually made and knit for community, you feel despair. Because if if no one kind of talk you off the ledge or remind you of whatever lies are obsessing in your brain, Mm -hmm. if no one can call you out and not, not, not in shame or condemnation, but just say, Hey, that thing that you're saying in your head is not true. And, and sometimes we just need somebody to remind us of that. And that comes through community. So I, I couldn't. I couldn't talk enough about relationships. We've got a loneliness <laughs> epidemic um, happening on top of a mental health addiction uh, epidemic, and I honestly know that those things are related. And yeah. because we have phones that kind of force us to actually commune with people that aren't really in front of us, that mm-hmm. displaces real intimacy and relationships. Because we all know, on a screen, you only show a filtered version of yourself. So we're working very hard where we live locally to practice the way of Jesus in a community that was very much like the early church, where we are committed to one another. Um, Mm. Like we're going to show up, we're going to meet regularly, we're going to take meals, we're going to, if somebody's threatening divorce, somebody's going to show up on their driveway and be like, what's going on? You know, it's, it's almost like people get to the end before anyone else knows. And if we were just to invite people into the process of pain while it's happening in real time without shame and judgment, yeah, we would actually salvage a lot of these relationships that are on the rocks. And yeah. so that's our heart locally. That's our heart in our marriage. That's our heart with our kids. Like even so many parents, you didn't ask for all this, but so many parents I talk no, about good. with kids who are having pseudo suicidal ideation starting at age 10. And we are constantly... Um, sharpening one another and and building one another up to go no conversation with your kid is off limits 
watch your reactions. This is not about them. This is about you, right? What Mm -hmm. are the greatest fears you have that you're almost like perpetuating in like the way you parent, the way I parent? What are my fears in marriage that sometimes shame informs my, my defense mechanism? The more we can equip people in those places to go, you have to be safe. You have to be a person that's a safe place and you have to make room for that. But before that, someone has to be that for you. So Mm -hmm. like, let's pay that forward. Let's be a safe person without judgment or condemnation or finger pointing and just ask a question and be quiet and listen and be like, I'm sorry for the pain that you're walking through. And I'm sorry for the way that pain spills out on this or that or the other or that person. Um, The beauty of all this is it's not beyond repair. It's not over. I mean, obviously death is, it's, it's still the end for what we see right now, but even, but even death, as we know, doesn't have the final say God, like God says death, you know, is here of our physical form, but he's, we have a soul that is eternal. And so I think, I think the more we can just live now as if, uh, all these relationships are, are sacred and they are worth pursuing no matter how far gone they feel, uh, the best, my, my two words for the year are honest and curious. And I honestly, Mm. I do believe that our tone and posture online and offline should always be honest and curious. Ask yeah. a be honest about your own vulnerability for starters, because you can't be safe mm-hmm. if you don't even disclose anything. But then be curious about the other person's perspective and what their vulnerabilities are. And don't put them in a bucket. Don't put them in a like a side. Don't put them in some judgment category. Just they're oh, yeah. a person with a worldview that woke they woke up to every morning and a circumstance and a story that informs their narrative. And the more yeah. we can be less offended by that and more curious, um, I think that's, I personally believe that is the role of the church. Mm-hmm. It actually, it reminds me of a season of life. Um, I, I've, I've gone on record many times. I'll say it again, that I am far from a perfect person and I'm uh, s- spotted in many ways. Um, but I always kind of reflected back on that uh, portion of scripture that just talks about cast uh, or confess your sins one to another. And for a a lot of years, I was just like, that sounds like a horrible idea because all it does is just set me up for, for judgment and condemnation and um, probably a lot of things that I don't want, you know? And then um, I remember going through a really hard season of life where I did make a lot of mistakes. And then, you know, the years coming out of that, there was a lot of like just personal guilt and shame from that, that I applied to myself. But when I actually got to a season where I felt um, comfortable being vulnerable and sharing that it was, it, you know, I think the world likes to say it's, it's like a, the venting process, I guess, but I found that getting vulnerable with people, um, less often there was any judgment at all. And it actually like brought so much like peace in sharing that story. And you can just feel the Holy spirit in that conversation too. Yeah. But also the person receiving that, you could just tell that it was, it was almost just like, um, a gift that you had shared with them. And, and so I love that you say that because I think as a leader, as parents, as just people in this great big world, um, having someone to call safe or that safe place is like life changing. Um, I know a lot in your books too that you talk about um, like getting to this place of being uh, vulnerable. So 
how did how did you get to a place where you felt comfortable being vulnerable? Uh, you know, that part I really don't have an answer for. I think I've been a chronic oversharer my whole life. And <laughs> I, I do think I get some of that from my dad. You know, some people are just more open and some people are more private with just their yeah. stuff. And part of that's personality. Part of that, I do believe, is shame. And there were certainly things I wouldn't talk about that were shameful. But it, for the most part, uh, thankfully, as the Lord has kind of brought healing and reconciliation through those things, those stories come more easily. It's definitely mm-hmm. important that I don't uh, dishonor somebody else's story, even if it involves me. So I often just talk about my my role in that story, my kind of my response, my my sin or my you know errors, and then my repentance and what the conviction was for me. Because I do still think the power of testimony and showing. God actually revealed something that I was just completely blind to that then made me go, I got to go to that person or I need to repent of this or that. Um, It just sets a tone of humility in the church. Like none of Mm -hmm. us arrive and we're just these, maybe we'll be like written down as heroes of the faith, like centuries from now. But honestly, we are all a work in progress. And all it takes is a couple prideful episodes to like remind you like, oh yeah, you, (laughs) you, there's a long way to go. And it's not because God isn't fully lavishing you with delight and love. It's just part of like maturity, maturity. It just, mm-hmm. it, it can do the older you get, the more you learn. And that's a good thing. I, I want to be a lifelong learner. And I think that is part of the curiosity attached to that. When we can be honest, like you said, about what happened and not so much dwell on our story of struggle. Yes, I do tell the stories, but I always I make sure that the the focus is his story of rescue in that story. Otherwise, we're just kind of circling the drain. It's just like the mm-hmm. eddy of pain that cannot end. And at some point, if there's not a resolve, it's like you're just you're just watching a tragedy. And you're kind of wondering at the end of the film, like, well, is there any redemptive thread that comes from it? All of creation is looking for a redemptive thread, whether or not they acknowledge God. So if we see God's power on display in our lives, we can't not talk about it, right? Like, especially if we like to, if we're a chronic overshare, I felt like the Lord said, here's a story that you can't shut up about. And it's because it's about him. And then all of a sudden it just kind of speaks for itself. I want to switch gears a little bit. And I know a couple of your um, books have talked about anxiety, um, depression, but also um, helping people, um, get aligned with their purpose. I think, I don't know if there's a person on this planet that doesn't think about their purpose, maybe one, at least once a week or maybe once a day. Um, it seems like that's the thing that we're constantly pursuing. And maybe some people are a little bit closer, but I think we all have those days when things aren't, um, feeling like they're going in the right direction. And we're just like, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? So, um, you had, you had a great, um, just story that you shared of, of going from Florida to, um, Virginia and then Atlanta, New York City. Now you're in Nashville. So there's been a lot of movement, a lot of seasons of life, even being a parent to now four that I probably helped refine um, your compass a bit. So I would just love to hear um, as, a, as a leader uh, for people that are kind of searching for this purpose in their life, um, maybe some thoughts on how they can dial that in and just get a little bit closer to that thing that they're searching for. Yeah, well, we are all made for meaning. I mean, absolutely. Like our life uh, is is insig- it's 
it's almost feels insignificant if we're not contributing and serving and having something that's an out an outpost of of what's happening in our lives. You know, I think um, in Galatians six it says, "In Christ you are free, but don't use this freedom for yourselves. Use this freedom to mm. serve one another in love." That's how freedom grows. That's a paraphrase in the message, but it's that this idea that the freedom that we begin to encounter as we serve others grows. It not only grows in us, as I'm talking to you, I'm actually being reminded of what is true. As I minister, mm-hmm. I'm ministering to myself. And then that the word doesn't return void. I've all of a sudden That's leave right. this conversation more encouraged than I came in because we were together talking. We were, we were talking about the goodness of God. And I was also pouring out of the overflow of what he's given me. And so when we start to just tap into that, it doesn't have to be all like we all think we needed like the the BHAG and we need like a five-year vision and it needs to be all mapped out. God typically doesn't work that way. I'm not against goal setting, um, but I would just hold those things lightly and go, my, my goal is that I wake every day with open hands and say, I don't want to resist anything that you might bring my way. I don't want to just kind of already have a closed door or a barrier. I want to have a whole heart, an open hearted approach to my work. And so if doors close, I don't get too upset about that because I really do trust the providence of God. And I trust that um, even if something I really wanted did not happen, um, scripture says, give thanks in everything, everything for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so my mother-in-law, she's a hero of the faith. She just went to be with Jesus over a week ago. She told me a few years ago that anything we encounter hasn't been sifted through God's hand like anything, whether highs, lows. And then that's why scripture talks about, I've learned the secret to being content in Philippians 4. It's like, he's like in in highs and lows and much and little and loss and gain. Um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Mm. So I would say on that purpose journey um, that we should pay attention to the doors that open and the doors that close. I think those things very much inform the trajectory of life. If we kind of come into this thing with, again, a posture of humility and availability, we're like, here are my Lord, send me like, uh, I have a knack for this or that. Um, I say, pay attention to the things that are effortless for you, that you don't Mm -hmm. even have to overthink. It's a natural gift from God that he knit in your womb. It says all your days were written and planned before one of them began and that his works were wonderful when he knit you. So that means the way he crafted each of us in our mother's womb with intention was so that we could live out the days that were written and planned in advance. So mm-hmm. I didn't know this as an eight-year-old, but I loved to read and my nickname was Becca Book. And my parents were school <laughs> teachers and I would go like to, I had to stay around after school because I you know, rode with the teacher and she always had lesson plans before or after school. So I would go to the library every day and I read 62 Dancy Drew books in fourth grade alone. Because I was really, you know, caught up in the idea of Nancy and Ned getting together. And I was always trying to solve the mystery with her. And again, I would have never thought at 36. So people would call me a late bloomer in my purpose or my calling or my vocational life. But that readers make writers. I would have never dreamed that I would be a writer or that I would write published books or that I would be a speaker and I would have words. Apparently, I, again, a chronic overshare. So... I think God already knows the plans. What he's looking for is going like, are you just ready to go on this adventure of like, 
openness of just like curiosity of like, you know, if this Holy Spirit prompts you to like, hey, take this class, major in this, um, start this Bible study or join this group, or you love to read or you love, maybe you're a designer and it's like, pay attention. I think if we could just pay attention to what excites us, what energizes mm-hmm. us and do more of that, then we'll find like-minded friends in that space. And then all of a sudden, again, through prayerful surrender and willingness, all of a sudden those things start to gel and synergize. And then one thing leads to the next and leads to the next and leads to the next. Uh, I think uh, discovering your purpose is left less like this abstract thing that we just have to cling to that falls from the sky. Like that's my purpose yeah. or that's my calling or that's what I'm supposed to do. It's like, it's actually this excavation of uncovering what's always been there. And sometimes that takes longer than others. Cause we've decided or our parents said like, we should be, you know, every, every parent said to every creative, like you need to be, you know, a doctor or a, a lawyer. Right. Um, but Parker Palmer writes the best book on this called let your life speak. And it's listening to the voice of vocation. And he said, we all come into this world with birthright gifts, but early on we abandon them or others disabuse them. But if we're Mm -hmm. aware and awake and able to admit our loss, we spend the second half of our lives recovering the gifts we've always possessed. So it's not that like all of a sudden my calling just descended from heaven at 36. It was that there was enough pain to, to, and enough surrender to where I was like, I was given words to talk about that story. And I think for all of us, God knows the appointed time. He kind of like wants to escalate things, but it wasn't because I wasn't like, I didn't do anything up until that point. I had a lot of different outputs of ministry and leadership, but God just kind of led it this direction. And I think that's fun because that means that even 10 years into being an author or a teacher uh, every year, I'm like, what do you want to do this year? You know, like, (laughs) let's change it up. Like, Maybe yeah. we do this or we do this or we do a different version of this. Um, the passion's not going to go away, but the medium might look different with COVID. Everything looks a little different. And I like, I like knowing that that, that the, as long as the passion could stay because I'm in the lane of gifting, uh, mm-hmm. then there's a lot of different ways that can play out. And usually that's informed back by the theme of this podcast, which is relationships. So I always put the connect rhythm before the create rhythm, because once you're Mm -hmm. in good community, that creative collaboration really yields a whole lot of beautiful new artifacts of beauty in the world. Well, I think 36 may be the sweet spot because I'm I'm, I'm, (laughs) 36 is coming up in July and I feel like I'm just like coming coming into it's getting it, right? started <laughs> yeah it's like you want me to figure out my, what my degree is when i'm 20 years old like there's no way i know <laughs> so, and turns out i so did major pressure. in mass communications but not because i like had any <laughs> level of clarity it was like well i i like to talk and write so that feels that yeah. feels like that could at least serve somewhere <laughs> i'm not even yeah. sure what i learned but but God knows and he leads us and yeah. he pulls the thread through our lives. I think we can calm down a little bit about going like he knows more than you, like what he's in, gifted you for. And he knows the people that he wants to bring around. So my, my prayer is always, God, would you go before me mm-hmm. and would you bring the people around? And when, yeah. when those two things, it's like, you feel like you're kind of following the current and the flow. You're not forging, you're not taking the hill on your own but you're kind of in this lane where there's already natural momentum. And then there's people around that are like-minded. There's a whole lot of synergy that comes from that. Yeah, that's so true. So um, just to kind of a quick follow-up on that. 
So I am uh, a child of God. I love Jesus. I love people and I love Jesus. Um, he's my number one. Um, but I'm also a serial entrepreneur. Like I, I'm creative. I can't help but think about new things every single day. My wife gets on to me for how many domains that I own. <laughs> That's um, Gabe. That like, is 100% my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I always have that next great idea and then rarely ever execute it. But how... Um, because I really love your your thoughts on, and, and I, I really feel what you're saying too, but um, you're talking about, you know, if, if God opens the door for that day, then, you know, pursue it. And then some, some days the doors are going to close. But how do you think we get down to having a more under, understanding and clarity that it's the Lord leading us? Because, mm. I mean, there's things that I know that are are good and glorifying to God, but sometimes I still wrestle like, well, is this really like the path that he wanted me to go on? So what would be your advice, um, not only to our audience, but even to me on um, just making sure that even when something appears good, that it's still glorifying to God um, in our, in our pursuit to honor him in his life. So. Yeah, I would say my husband is also an ideator. Like that is his one of his core strengths. And I figure if you're coming up with a thousand good ideas, one of them is going to be amazing, right? Because you have a lot mm -hmm. to choose from. Whereas some of us like me, I'm like, I got four and hopefully one of them works, right? <laughs> so I think part of that's just the way we're wired. Um, sometimes it overwhelms me. I'm like, so my yeah. litmus test for Gabe, which I don't know if this applies to you, but it's like, how long is this idea going to stick? Because I feel like um, if it's from God, there's a couple ingredients. Um, that you can't shake it. It's like sand in your shoe that keeps coming back around. And it's almost like an irritant because it requires some level of sacrifice. It requires some level of surrender and trust because it's a little different lane than maybe where you've been. So for us, you know, that was the adoption of our daughter three years ago with special needs. She has a Down syndrome diagnosis as well. And we brought her home from China. I, I cried about adoption every three years for like five minutes, ever since our youngest was born. And, but I was like, we're full. We're I like, we don't have capacity, but it required something of me and God brought it back around time and time again to where it was so blatantly obvious that I could not run from it. Um, as far as, uh, Gabe and I working together, we had different people come to us cause he was building our nonprofit and I was kind of building my lane over here and my rhythms and mental health community. And people were like, you're kind of doing this. You're like building something apart and what if you, and these are friends who stood with us in our wedding. They said, what if you started to bring your work, your vocational work more to overlap? And because we heard that time and time again from trusted friends, when they'd see us do something, they're like, you guys are so much better together. You should do more things together. Like the Rhythms podcast was just going to be mine. And he was going to interview me on episode one. And we're driving back from that conversation. I said, let's just do it together. Um, and that required sacrifice from both of us because both of us, have really strong opinions on how to communicate and how we what what we want to say. And the first time we recorded it was so awkward and awful. We were like, this is a bad idea. And then we like came back, we prayed about, it, we came back, we did it again. And I think what God has even used in that is modeling us as a pair to inspire other couples. We now host these retreats. And again, I was never doing this on my own. We host mental health retreats, marriage retreats, parenting retreats, um, all kinds of things and life planning retreats and Doing it together is just a new energy, but it required some sacrifice of our, like, this is my way or this is my way. But people kept confirming that when they would leave, they go, I got a lot out of the content. But honestly, what really inspired me is watching your dynamic as a couple, almost mm -hmm. like that mutual submission to one another in love and like trusting and like kind of tag team. 
we just did our first like like massive keynote to a very large audience together tagging back and forth and that was you know i was nervous i was like i know how i do this you know how you do this but we're gonna have to just look each other and stop talking and hope the other person you know chimes in so i just love that um the ideas that god has require sacrifice and surrender and they always include risk but then they're the ones that don't leave they keep coming back around that's so good I have two two more questions. Um, all these are so good. We could spend the whole day on just one of these subject matters. But uh, one of the two questions. So, I love I love when you talked about how these this, these things that you're passionate about that you're called to do that you you've started to overlay those. And I think that's that's already kind of an answer to my question. But um, we live in a world just one full of responsibility and one full of like endless distractions. Like um, it's it's just, it's nonstop. But you know, you have um, a husband, um, you are uh, deeply involved with Q Ideas, you're a mother, you're a friend, you're an author, you're a speaker. I'm probably missing out 10 other things that that you have on your responsibility plate. Um, how do you, with those relationships and those things that you're passionate about, how do you, how do you make sure that, one, you are getting rest? You just mentioned that as being a, a major ingredient, but how do you, how do you find rest do all those things that you're really passionate about and make sure that you don't implode at the same time. Yeah, that's, I'm so glad we talked about this. This is probably of all the things we discussed, like the heartbeat and the foundation of my, um, my posture and energy towards any of this, because I started kind of like ramping and then, then I crashed and God really in the last several years has just retaught me about that rhythm. The rhythm of rest is not optional to God. It is actually a mandate that, you know, resting on the seventh day, God rests, then he blessed that day, which shows me that rest precedes blessing and that we don't mm. run to earn rest on Saturday and Sunday. We run fueled from a posture of rest on Monday and Tuesday. So it's almost like it. it even in the Hebrew tradition, it was evening and morning were the first day. So like that the day began with rest at sundown. It began with breaking bread at Shabbat and it began with them going to sleep. And that Mm. shows that God's order is rest first, perform second. And um, we wake up in the morning and think the day starts that day. No, the day started the, the night before, because if you didn't sleep well, you you didn't have an evening routine routine. There's no way you have a morning routine. There's no way you have an efficient day. And so I kind of just turned everything on its head. And we, so we have a, a because I'm self-employed to a degree, like, let's be honest. I mean, I don't know who I work for, probably everyone, but um, I can at least have say and agency on what those work hours look like the work rhythms annually and the work rhythms daily. So annually, I take a Sabbath in December and January. I still do some things I'm writing, but I'm not doing a lot of public speaking or travel. We pause the podcast. Uh, I do the same thing in the summer, uh, July, June and July, because my kids are home. So basically, if, mm. if my son's home from college over Christmas, you better believe I am not going to get on a plane and go somewhere away from him. I'm going to stay home. So Christmas, And so there's at least three months out of the year where there's still some autopilot happening, but in general, you know, for the most part, um, I'm, I'm focused at home and then, uh, on a daily and weekly cadence for sure. Um, I have a Sabbath in the middle of the week. If I'm traveling that weekend to speak Friday, Saturday, and like where I'm just home and I'm quiet and I'm just in the word and I'm 
walking through the woods and, uh, you know, we have a trail that I walk, but I also do that kind of daily. I have some daily of like these hours, either early morning or right before sundown, if it's winter that I just get outside on a prayer walk and I'll just go alone because I'm in high capacity introvert. <laughs> so people yeah. think I'm extroverted, but, and I can keep it going, but I'll get home and I'll be like, I need to decompress and I need some solitude. So yeah. I think everyone knows their kind of bandwidth for that. I have actually far less capacity than Gabe. He's just made with this innate ex, um, you know, extrovert energy that is never weary. And I'm like, I can't even look at my texts. I don't want to know my emails. I just, and thankfully, obviously God brings teams around that help with that. And then sometimes I'm just yeah. like, I'm just got 200 texts that I will get to, or maybe they'll just have so much grace that they'll know that, you know, I'm fully present and basically unavailable, which at the same time, which is kind of hard, but I think we all have it's to true. make those limits for ourselves. And the more diligent we are with saying no to things that are going to extend us beyond our capacity, the far we more we reduce the level of stress that we carry every day for leaders um moms and dads really anybody that that desires to to have better relationships or to build better relationships what would be your wisdom on that i just be fully present when you're talking to somebody eye contact put your phone down and that's mm. definitely begins in the home 100 percent. they get your first yeah, yeah. Uh, and then lastly um I know I've been really uh, blessed by our conversation. Like I said, your uh, your books, um, really everything that you guys are putting out just is amazing um, and very life-giving uh, when consumed. So how for people that um, feel connected today, would, would like to follow along with you, um, what's the best way for them to do that going forward? Yes, I would say probably to start, start out, if you're just looking for a rhythm of health, emotional, spiritual, relational health, Rhythms of Renewal would be the most practical for that. And then the other would just be the Rhythms for Life podcast is like a weekly conversation with Gabe and I on those same rhythms for life. And then uh, your website, uh, probably a good place to check some stuff out too, right? Yeah, just my name. Yep. Okay, awesome. Well, Rebecca, I am uh, so grateful for uh, your time. I know uh, you're big on just making sure that you... Um, put those things in the right place. But I'm, I'm grateful that you uh, had this conversation with us. And, and to all our listeners, thank you so much for being on another episode of the Relationship Business Podcast. We love you. Hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time. Thank you.